Our Bible reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 to 24, on page 1046 of the Bible, Blue Bible. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he, held, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Malcolm, if I haven't met you before. Um, it's great to have you with us, especially if you're new or visiting here today. I'm going to start off by asking, what is the most awkward dinner party that you've been to? Um, I was actually thinking during the week, maybe I should post on our Facebook page asking, you know, give us your, 
worse stories. Uh, but then I thought the better of it for two reasons. Uh, one is, who knows who from this room might be implicated in that story? And uh, I also didn't want you to relive your emotional trauma. Um, one awkward start that I can remember for, from a uh, dinner party is when a guest arrived and um, the host said to them, oh, you know, sorry, sorry about the message ki- messy kitchen, to which the guest replied, thank you for apologizing. Um, <laughs> although I'm not convinced they were being entirely serious, but let's just say the conversation between those two uh, was a bit subdued that night. Well, maybe when you think awkward dinner party, you think some of the great uh, episodes of TV shows or uh, movies from pop culture. You might think of uh, a dinner like in Back to the Future, where Marty McFly has gone back in time and is seated next to his teenage mother, and then he realizes that she has feelings for him. This is very awkward. (laughs) Or maybe you've watched shows like the US version of The Office, Uh, There's a couple of characters tricked into attending their boss's dinner party um, to find their food is three hours late and they are dragged into this weird and messy breakdown of a relationship. And after a very tense game of charades, uh, one of the office workers, Jim, says, Michael and Jan seem to be playing their own game and it's called, let's see how uncomfortable we can make our guests. And they're both winning. (laughs) Well, the dinner party that we're looking at today involves Jesus. And you might think, Jesus is a nice guy. He would be a great guest to have at a party. Well, actually, the picture we have painted here by Luke is a little more awkward than we might have thought. Jesus is a bit more upfront at at this dinner party than you would expect of a typical guest. Now, I should say as well, if you're joining us for the first time, um, we're actually going through the book of Luke together, um, which is uh, the story of Jesus' life. So um, last week, we came back to it after a bit of a break. Cam took us through the end of uh, chapter 13. And Jesus has been talking about God's kingdom, uh, actually how, how it's the opposite of what we might expect, that the first are last and the last are first. We'll see more of that today. Uh, in a slightly different setting. Now, as you might have noticed, Jesus has gone to attend a dinner party at a prominent Pharisee's house. Um, If you haven't heard of a Pharisee before, they were a revered uh, leader, as we might revere a respected church leader today. Um, These dinner parties were a big deal. It was a Sabbath day, so, you know, the Sabbath, you had to prepare all your meals in advance. Just think, like, you had, uh, the dinner party is so big and complicated, you had to cook everything the day before. So we have Jesus entering the house of a prominent Pharisee for an important dinner party. The Pharisees set up his playlist of songs, got a good spread of food. Coming along to it is Jesus, the most interesting and controversial guest of the times. But this idealistic and picturesque idea of what might have happened at the party comes crashing down even before the party gets going. The first indication we get is actually in the very first verse that we just had read to us. So verse one we see, he went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee and he was being carefully watched. Now, I don't think this is carefully watched as in this is some kind of spectator sport, let's watch how well Jesus eats things. It's more like 
there's something nasty going on here. They are watching to see if he's going to trip up. Now, first you might think, well, what are they watching for? We get the clue in the very next verse. What do you know? There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. So this guy obviously has a legitimate problem, but those watching Jesus aren't really concerned about this guy and his medical issue. What they're wanting to see is if Jesus is going to take the bait. Is he going to heal this guy on the Sabbath day when you're not meant to be working? So what's going to happen? Is Jesus going to refuse to heal this man in order to keep the Sabbath? Or is he going to heal the guy but break the law? It seems like Jesus is in a bit of a bind here. He'll either seem like a heartless jerk or a lawbreaker. Well, what does he do? If you're familiar with Jesus, he's not one to let a tight situation like this get him down. As usual, he states the elephant in the room and actually kind of turns it back on them. At verse 3, look at verse 3 there. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Hmm. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, won't you immediately pull it out? And again, they've got no answer to this. So the The people watching him had some conception of the law, obviously. They thought Jesus was going to be breaking the law. And in some sense, they were right in wanting to keep the Sabbath. We read um, God's commands to the people of Israel, for example, in Deuteronomy 35, 1-3, makes it clear in no uncertain terms that the Sabbath must be a day of rest, suggesting they shouldn't even light a fire on a Sabbath day. Now, You know, if that's your only source of warmth and of making food, that could be a difficult prospect. So, you know, you can see here, the Pharisees wanting to keep the Sabbath holy, it's not such a bad idea. But actually, the problem starts, and this misunderstanding starts, when we look at how they're going about this. Firstly, they found a sick man and then deliberately brought him to Jesus on the Sabbath to test Jesus. They weren't seeking for him to be healed. They didn't care about him. They weren't seeking to honour God by resting on the seventh day. They were testing Jesus. And secondly, the law of the Sabbath in the Bible doesn't actually specify not to heal someone. The Pharisees are going off these extra rules that rabbis of their time had interpreted work as. And those are the provisions that Jesus is referring to when he says, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, won't you immediately pull it out? So Jesus is saying, well, hang on. Aren't your own added rules a little bit inconsistent? If someone is in peril, you can save them. But you seriously want to get me into trouble for healing an innocent guy. And in response, crickets. Their motives and interpretations of the law have been exposed for what they really are. They're self-honouring and self-exalting. So that brings us to the next section of the narrative, their mistaken honour. So continuing uh, in verse 7, 
You see Jesus going inside and everyone's taking a place for dinner. But of course, everyone's jostling for position. And uh, I loved Adam's uh, kids talk. That was an excellent illustration of that. Everyone wanting to be honored. Everyone wanting the best place that they can. And as all good teachers do, Jesus sees this scene and thinks, there's a great analogy here, and makes a parable about honor and humility. So let's read from verse 8 there. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I should probably note here, there's a bit of a cultural difference. You know, in Adelaide, we're all very polite. We tend to be easygoing, but I will say there is one thing uh, that will raise the blood pressure of even the most timid amongst us, and that is someone who thinks they're better than us and tells us that. So if we replayed Jesus' parable in our culture, you would see the people walking in uh, and realizing to huge embarrassment that they had to rank themselves in order of social status. And because, you know, you don't want to seem like you love yourself too much, uh, we'd all hover around the least important seat saying, after you, no, honest, after you, maybe post a picture on Instagram saying, hashtag blessed and humbled. (laughs) But we have to remember that humility didn't have the same value in an ancient culture. Pride and honor were virtues. Showing your status and honoring yourself wasn't a bad thing, it was just what people did. So Jesus' words are actually very countercultural. But more importantly than the parable, look at his conclusion. He says in verse 11, All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. And of course, as Australians, we're like, Yes, Jesus, you stick it to those who think they're the best. But actually, that's not really what he's saying, is it? It's not a matter of righting wrongs or evening the playing field or cutting down tall poppies. He's talking about individuals themselves being humble rather than seeking honor, not bringing down others. If you're still a bit confused about what kind of things he means, he actually goes on to give another example straight away. So from verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now remember, Jesus was saying this to his host at a dinner party. This is definitely not a masterclass on how to win friends and influence people. This is where 
everyone's talking loudly, and then all of a sudden the music cuts out, and everyone goes silent and stares at Jesus. Did he just say that to the host? Isn't he kind of an ungrateful guest? Well, he doesn't seem to be complaining about the meal they're having together. No, it's more, he's just said about how being humble is better than exalting yourself. And he's giving an example of how to be humble. How can his host do that? Well, work for the benefit of those who can't repay you. And if I'm honest, I find that particular example a huge challenge. Now, my personal problem, I will say, is not that I try and throw too many banquets and trying to honour myself in that way. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys are banquet people, banqueting every night with your friends, or at luncheons, uh, as was in there. I don't know. Does anyone use the word luncheon still? I looked it up on Google and apparently had a peak in the 1950s and then dropped off. I haven't heard the word luncheon in a long time. But anyway, that's not my issue. But Jesus' suggestion that I take honour and humility seriously really does cut through. And you might be thinking along the same lines. How do I present myself to others? Is, is my main concern that people think well of me? Do I want people thinking I'm successful or smart or wealthy? Or even do I want people thinking that I'm humble? And I think it's right for us to continue with those questions as Jesus questions our misplaced honour. And maybe that's what everyone else at the party that Jesus was at was considering as well. Now, we're not told here if there was an awkward silence while everyone pondered this, but it kind of seems like something like that might have been on the cards because the very next thing that we see is someone trying to, you know turn the conversation around, resurrected a bit with a slightly more cheery topic than Jesus telling off his host. So if you're following along in your notes, uh, this, we're now up to the section, misplaced priorities. This is from verse 15. So Jesus has just dropped that awkward bombshell to the host, and then someone else at the table tries to lift the mood by saying, and this is verse 15, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Oh, how nice. Relief. Oh, the tension in the room is gone. Oh, yeah, that's true. Wow, I thought we were in trouble then. That was going to be an awkward conversation about humility for the rest of the night. But hey, that's right. Us Jews, we're God's people. So we can look forward to an eternal banquet in God's kingdom. Crisis averted. Turn the music back up. Except, no. Jesus chimes in again with probably the most disruptive and disturbing message to them of the whole night. So take a look from verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet. Okay, so he's talking about the feast in the kingdom of God. Okay, he was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. All right, so the Jesus listeners are thinking, okay, they're guests, that's, that's us, that's God's people, all right. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began making some excuses. Okay, what's going on here? Well, we see someone has a new field that they want to go and see. Why they decided not to look at the field until after they bought it, I don't really know. Maybe some of you guys buy houses without looking at them, but personally, that's not my game. Um, 
Someone has some new oxen, so they want to hitch it up to their carriage and do a few burnouts. Uh, Someone just got married, so we all know this. They've just disappeared into that vortex of young married couples. But actually, these excuses are all kind of really weak and a bit culturally unlikely that someone would use an excuse like these to miss an event. And uh, we can tell this because when the servant comes back to the master and tells him the news, the master is quite justifiably angry. He's gone to all this effort to set up the banquet, he's invited all these people, and then the guests have just decided not to show up. So at this point, okay, Jesus' listeners are thinking, oh, wait, what's going on? God's people aren't there because they're making excuses. So who's going to be at the banquet in the kingdom of God? Well, what happens next is the owner tells his servant to bring in, this is verse 21, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But there's still room. So then his master says to his servant, Verse 23, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So basically, instead of all God's people being there, because they refuse to come to the banquet, it's just going to be opened up to everyone. And verse 24 really gives us the nail in the coffin. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Whoa. Now, we don't have recorded for us the response of his listeners at the dinner party, but there are some clear questions we're meant to think through, obviously. Does Jesus mean that none of the Jews are saved? Or is it none at the party are going to be saved? Who are all these extra people who are being invited then? What is going on here? Actually, it's helpful for us to remember the idea that Cam was preaching to us about last week from chapter 13. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That is, those who put themselves first, those who exalt themselves rather than humbly responding to Jesus, are seen missing out entirely. In fact, Luke, who compiled this account of Jesus' life, is really deliberate all throughout his gospel in hammering home these great reversals. The first shall be last. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those invited to the great banquet won't get a taste. Instead, the last shall be first. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And those who respond will enter the banquet. So Jesus is saying to those at the dinner party, you think you're so safe because of your own honor, your status, your knowledge that you're one of God's nation, so you'll enter his kingdom. But you lack compassion, you lack humility, and actually you haven't even responded to God's invitation. Essentially, many of those who should be in on the great banquet the Jews and the self-exalting and law-abiding Pharisees are going to end up missing out in, in the end because they've missed the point. And who ends up in the banquet? Those who accepted the invitation. 
And actually, that's, that's us. We are the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. We are the randoms that were sought out on roads and country lanes. Now think about it. Not many of us here are, are Jews. Uh, not many of us were a part of God's people from the beginning. Most of us would have been born here, which is about as far away from where Jesus lived as you can be on the surface of the earth. And yet, the invite is open. We were graciously ushered in. Now, it's not like that was a comfort to those who were listening at Jesus' dinner party. It actually would have been more like a shocking mood killer to think that God's people were missing out while Gentiles like us waltzed in at the last second. But this is what Jesus does. He's exposed their misunderstanding of the laws, their mistaken honours, and their misplaced priorities. So the banquet is an open invitation. You can miss out by not responding. What does a place at the banquet mean for us? I guess firstly, if you're someone who hasn't responded to Jesus' invitation, I'd suggest starting there. If this is your first time hearing about Jesus, you might be thinking, who even is this Jesus guy? How does he know about great banquets and God and all these things? I say, great question. Hopefully, you can see at the very least that Jesus isn't afraid to ask the hard questions, but his talk of humility is, this, is like a breath of fresh air. I'd really encourage you to read more of Jesus. Um, perhaps ask someone you came with or uh, chat to the one of the staff here if you don't know anyone. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone here who actually wasn't keen to talk with you about Jesus and read through the rest of Luke's gospel with you. Or maybe you're someone who knows Jesus a little already. You might have grown up in a Christian household or had Christian friends or maybe even read some of the Bible for yourself. Hopefully, you can start to see here that merely knowing about God is not enough. That simply trying to follow the letter of the law can lead you to missing the point. It's about responding to the invitation of the one holding the great banquet, and Jesus himself is the key. So in a few minutes when we pray, perhaps that's a time where you might want to respond to him. Uh, you'll be pleased to know, as I've said, the invite is open to all. That's not that it's easy to follow Jesus, and we'll talk about that more next week, but his invite is there and it has to be responded to. Again, if that's you, I'd encourage you to talk to someone uh, about it afterward. And if you're here and um, you're a member of the church or you're also someone who follows Jesus and visiting, um, there are a couple of things to note as well. We can take great comfort in the parables of Jesus here. This is not something that you're meant to be worried about whether you're the same as the Pharisees. Your focus needs to be not on how well you do things, but on Jesus himself. He's invited us to follow him. And so for those of us, those of us who have responded to, to this, there's a great assurance and comfort. 
And hopefully, um, this should clearly draw us in, uh, to humbly um, submit ourselves to God yet again. Jesus is telling us plainly, don't exalt yourselves, rather be humble. Now, this can be tricky for us Adelaideans because our skewed idea of humble is just, you know, not bragging about yourselves or something like that. And in fact, when you notice someone receive an award, they'll say, I'm so humbled, when what they mean is, I'm so honoured. So where can we start on this idea of being humble? Well, there are some things we can think through and examine in ourselves. It might be useful to ask yourself the question, why do I want to be first? Or even, why am I not okay being last? I'm guessing we all have different reasons and different problems. It could be the allure of recognition in front of other people. Even though we don't do the sort of upfront honoring of people um, like in Jesus' day, we have kind of subtler ways of doing it. Maybe you enjoy the power dynamic at your work where everyone listens to your opinion or you're the most senior or honored, or maybe you want to be. It could even be that way in your community group. Maybe it's in study. Maybe you might be pushing hard in school or in uni for that elusive high grade to prove to someone that you have what it takes to be the best. Obviously, it's not bad to be good at things, but if something along those lines is ringing true for you, maybe you need to ask yourself why you need to be first. But I want to say, on a more positive note, there are so many examples of humble service in this church. We could talk about them for the rest of the day. Thankfully, I won't. But one that I think should be mentioned today uh, is the tireless efforts of the kids' ministry teams. Now, if you're not involved in kids' ministry at the moment, I'm sure there's someone who could talk to you and get you involved. No, no, I'm not, uh, <laughs> not recruiting here. But you, might, you may or may not have heard that in the last few months, there's a new child safe accrediting process um, uh, that has kind of slowed down the number of kids' workers getting, getting recertified. And obviously, it's a hugely important process. But this new system has actually left, left us with a drastic shortage of people who are certified to look after the kids during the service. And, um, you know, it's important to have people looking after the kids. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, if you ever go to the 9 a.m. especially, uh, once the kids go out, I mean, it goes from standing room only to a very roomy kind of business class, quiet experience. And I do say this is part of the problem. I have three kids of my own in creche and uh, another in minis. But I think it's a great example of the humility of the creche and our kids' ministry workers who've had to serve much more often due to this shortage to get us through this time. And it's because they see the importance of humbly serving, putting themselves last so that others might actually get to hear some teaching from God's word, that their Christian brothers and sisters would be able to just sit and think for a second, clear-headed, listen to God's word, submit themselves to God and worship him. And what a beautiful gift that is to the rest of the church. So if you're thinking about how to be generous and humble, 
Perhaps you might be thinking of the creche or kids' ministry workers giving up their time for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe you'll be thinking of holding a banquet for the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Or you might even think of going out to the roads and country lanes to compel others to come in to the great banquet. And also, if you haven't yet responded to Jesus, now is the opportunity to do so. Let's come before him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his teaching, how he made it so clear to those at the dinner party and to us that we need to respond to you. Thank you also that he gave his life for us to make it possible for us to be right with you and come to the great banquet. Lord, for those who haven't yet responded to your invitation, we come before you now. We come humbly to you, recognize you as our Lord, that we need you, Jesus, to save us. We ask that you would count us in that number and that we would serve you all the days of our lives and join you at the great banquet as one of your dear children. For those who still have questions, Lord, we ask that they would seek our answers, read more about you and come to know you better. We thank you also for those serving humbly in our church, and particularly for the kids' ministry. Um, we thank you for all their tireless efforts and the sacrifices they've made to help their brothers and sisters. Please, God, we ask you to continue to make all of us more humble in you and that we wouldn't seek to exalt ourselves, but to be humble. Thank you again for all you've done for us, Jesus, for it's in you alone that our hope is found. We pray this in your name. Amen.